You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell, and as you know, we're all about developing as effective leaders here at the Team Guru Podcast, and my guest today may be the best I've ever had on the show at giving practical advice. I first had Scott Stein on the pod way back in episode number 86, which came out in 2018. And a few of the tips he gave me then are things I use almost every day. And back right now for this episode, he's updated his book, Leadership Hacks, with some new insights and ideas and a whole new section about leading hybrid teams. Think you've heard all the recent wisdom about leading in a new COVID-influenced world? Think again. Scott Stein is not one to disappoint. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Scott Stein, welcome back to the Team Guru podcast. Oh, it's great to be back, Dave. It's so nice to have you back, Scott. As I was just saying before we hit record, I listened to our first and only ever episode together just yesterday. It's episode number 86, and for any listeners who haven't listened to that episode, Team Guru Podcast, episode 86, it is one of the most practical episodes I've ever done, and we're up to almost episode number 200 now, and you're still in that top tier of practical podcasts, mate. I just loved it so much, and you know what? When I listened to that episode again yesterday, and this happens a little bit, I realized that some of the ideas that you had given me have infiltrated my life. And I actually Uh work that way now. And I didn't quite remember exactly where I got the idea from in the first place. And you know, the number one tip is that idea of when you're delegating to get the other person to pick up a pen and you create just a little, a mind map of it. You start with the task in the middle and then you, the next layer out are the main components of that task and you get them to own the drawing You get them to think about the priority and the order and how much time it will take. I have used that one so many times. I have shared that hack with so many people since we last spoke. It is right up there with the best. Yeah, that's great to hear. That's probably one of the most popular ones, to be honest, because that's the most common issue. Like, how do I delegate to get my people to do what I need them to do? Yeah. And that's universal. doesn't matter which country I'm in. doesn't matter what level they're at. It happens anywhere. It's really great. And I I could go over all the highlights of that, but I won't do that because we're going to have a brand new conversation now. But if you haven't listened to it, go back and have a listen to that, folks. It's a real ripper. One of Team Guru's best ever podcast episodes. And just listening to that yesterday, and what we're going to do today, of course, is we're going to talk about Scott's updated book. So interesting approach you've taken, Scott. So many people would have just written a new book, but you've decided to update your original book, which is called Leadership Hacks. And we had a wonderful conversation about the title of your book last time we chatted. Instead of writing a brand new book, you have updated this and it's updated all the way through, I noticed. You haven't just tacked on an extra chapter. Everything has been updated to a certain extent, a brand new introduction, some new hacks along the way. And then, of course, what we're going to focus on today is your approach, your hack approach to leading hybrid teams. So that's the absolute gold. But before we get to that, I've got a million questions for you about that because I know that you are going to have so many 
bits of practical advice. I just want to know, what are the best updates for hacks in just the general leadership category that you've had since 2018 when we first spoke? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is all around hybrid. Yeah, um, so it, we're going to get there anyway. Yeah, it was interesting you say, you know, what's changed in the book, and, and I did. I talked to my publisher, Wiley, and I was talking about hybrid, and also they said, well, maybe we'll do a different book. And I said, well, actually, I've been reviewing my, you know, the, what I wrote before, and it's all even more practical. It's even more relevant, and you can use it in a hybrid environment as well. I said, so why don't we kind of combine it? Why don't we keep the core practical things and then put on another section that is how do you implement that with hybrid where you don't have the people that you're sitting next to all the time, where you are Zooming or Microsoft Teamsing, and how do you make that work from a leadership perspective? The whole transition to working from home or working remotely or hybrid teams, and we're going to get right into the guts of that really soon, is something that our listeners are really acutely aware of. They've lived through it just like we have. But despite the fact that you're going to give some brand new tips, a lot of the experiences that we've had working in hybrid teams and leading a a hybrid team, it just calls on us to go back to the fundamentals, our best skills as a leader, and re-examine not necessarily anything brand new, but re-examine what makes us tick as a leader and do those really well. I had a guest on the podcast a while ago that said something that is memorable to me. They said, working remotely and leading teams remotely just emphasizes what a leader was already doing. And if they were already doing really good things, then their style through hybrid teams will be emphasized. But if they had some real flaws in their leadership approach, they'll be emphasized or amplified as well. Yeah. And that's what's happened. That's what all the research showed. That's what all the clients I worked with, they reported that as well. You know, traditional leaders would lead by sight. Uh, as long as I can micromanage you and see what you're doing, I know things are fine because it looks like you're busy. The minute everybody went hybrid, that was out the window. Oh, I don't know what um, you're doing. Yeah, I don't know what you're doing. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. And a lot of managers actually had a bit of a crisis of identity because mm-hmm. they're going, well, normally I can justify what I'm doing because I'm hammering everybody. And now I've got to kind of let them do what they need to do. And I'm just seeing the results. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and even you see in the media with some of the big companies going, no, we're going back to the office straight away. And, you know, the staff revolting. And part of that was the traditional need for a lot of those traditional leaders to go back to the way it used to be because they don't know how to lead this new world. It's uncomfortable for them. It's new for them. Yeah. And they don't they don't have what I call the match fitness to actually work and lead a hybrid organization. Hence those dinosaur calls we got when COVID started to settle down just a little bit and lockdowns were less frequent and isolation was less frequent. We got a lot of calls from the dinosaurs like pterodactyl screams to say, come back to the office. And it seemed so old fashioned and it, and it sort of, it rankled so many that I speak to because it reeked of people who didn't feel like they had control in the new world. So they wanted to go back to this old world that we knew we would never go back to. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at, you know, everybody's heard about the great resignation and all of that. Even if you look at the ABS, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, taking a look at the levels of unemployment, the level of people leaving work, it's still going up. And part of that is because some of these traditional leaders are going, no, I want everybody back five days a week. Mm. Now, there is some benefit of having people together, right? Collaborative space, but it doesn't have to be five days a week. That's right. There's a lot of other strategies that people could use. And I believe the leaders that are going to be able to get this mix right are the ones that are going to have the competitive advantage to springboard beyond the pandemic. 
Yeah, it's very much about the mix, isn't it? And you make that point so well in your updated book. Hey, we're going to get to that. But before we get there, I want to talk about these five global trends that are accelerating the move to hybrid work models. COVID was a slap in the face, a a massive step change overnight, what, however you'd like to think about it. But there are some tangible, sustainable trends that are going to make this hybrid theme even more so in our future. What are those themes and, and how do you see them, Scott? Yeah, and that's what I did a lot of research on because I was going, you know, what's next? What are people looking for? And I've been working with hybrid organizations and teams for over 20 years. Even one of my companies, The Learning Difference, is a national training and development company, and we've been virtual for 20 years. So it's kind of interesting to see what we've been doing in the rest of the world kind of catch up, if that makes sense. So what I notice is there's five global trends that really shows that really the hybrid workforce, the flexible workforce is actually going to be here to stay. The first one is that the businesses need for productivity. You know, a lot of people would say, oh, we don't want to be remote because people aren't going to be as productive. What all the research shows is productivity maintained the same or it actually went up. For a lot of people being able to work remote, they actually got more things done in less time. Right. And that's a massive thing. Businesses need people that are productive and hybrid. And if you do hybrid right, they are more productive. So that's one of the, the biggest trends. The second trend is employees demand for flexibility. Right. And this is what Anthony Klutz is talking about with the great resignation. If you don't give me a flexible workplace, I'm gone. I'm out of here. And I'm talking with clients right now. They're going, we just can't keep people. And I'm going, well, what are you doing? You know, they're focusing on recruitment selection. And I'm going, what are you doing to focus on making it a flexible workplace to encourage people to stay? And I think that's what people need to start looking at because of that trend. The third trend about is about leveraging collaboration across geographical boundaries. I was working with a group that's a global company. And one of the things we noticed across their European division with the different countries, traditionally, they wouldn't share information. Now they do, right? Because they are in hybrid. What that means is you get a lot more leverage across traditional geographical boundaries. And that's massive. That's a massive competitive advantage compared to what it used to be before. Two other trends. The fourth one's kind of an interesting one as well. It's about the ability to secure top talent regardless of their location, right? I've got one client, they're a architecture firm here in Australia. They've actually got staff in India now. They've got staff in South America. You don't need to be geographically locked in to get that top talent. And if you look at it from a business perspective, you know, you might want an executive here in Sydney, you're gonna have to pay them $250,000 a year. Well, you could get somebody with the same exact skills, capabilities based in cans and pay them half the salary because of the cost of living. And they don't need to move to Sydney and buy the $2 million house. They can actually live in the $750,000 house in cans, right? So this trend of securing top talent regardless of the geographical location is another trend that I believe is going to continue. And the final one, the fifth trend is about advances in technology. You know, I think that's one of the biggest things that we've noticed. Everything has gone even more accelerated online, right? The internet of things have, have exploded. All the crypto stuff has exploded. You know, it's not just Teams. It's not just Zoom. There's all these new platforms that are allowing people to collaborate virtually as well. And this new technology is giving a lot of these hybrid organizations another competitive advantage. So again, there's lots of trends, and it's actually quite tricky for people to keep up with them. 
Those, those trends are, are so strong. I'm going to ask you a, a question or two about a few of those. Yeah. So the idea of productivity has been increased or at least at the very least stayed the same. Is there any question about there? Is there any quibbling about the data? Because you hear different versions of that. You hear people reporting that their workplace is telling them that they've noticed a trend downwards in productivity. That's why they weren't ever on back. Is there any chance of spinning that data to your narrative or is it comprehensive? Is it unequivocal? I think it actually depends on the culture. Mm. So some of the cultures that do hybrid right, they're the ones that are actually getting the great results on the productivity. The other ones that aren't doing it right and forcing people to come back, those are the ones that have massive resignations right now. Of course, what's happening, their productivity is going down significantly because they can't fill the roles. Mm. Then they've got people that are overloaded and it's actually making them struggle even more. And those productivity gains in the cultures where it has worked, and I'm imagining that is more than cultures where it hasn't worked, is that the, the really obvious stuff? Like, I don't have to travel to work anymore, so I actually just sit down at my desk a little bit earlier. Is it that I can see my kids incidentally through the day when they come home from school and I can pick them up occasionally? It makes me happier, so I feel like less of a slave at my keyboard, and I'm a bit happier at work, so therefore that makes me productive. Is it also yeah. about the lack of disruptions that we get. And that's one of the things I noticed about our conversation in 2018 when I listened yesterday. We were so cutely naive of what was just about to hit us. And we talked about so many distractions being in the workplace, people walking past your desk, noise, you know, being too hot near the windows, being too yeah. cold under the vents. All of that's gone away. Is that where those productivity of gains have come from? Or are there any big ones that I haven't thought of? Yeah, they are. You know, the commuting time, on average, uh, people lost five to seven hours a week oh, just least. in commuting, yeah. right? And for some people, it was more than that. Add that up, that's a significant amount of time. Yeah. Then you've also got that ability to balance the work, life, the home thing. You know, and what a lot of people noticed is they said, well, I'd take a little bit of a break. And then when I'd come back, I would be even more productive mm-hmm. because I was fresh. Mm-hmm. I could look at things clearly and it wasn't like I was doing the eight to six slog in the office, going through, getting tired, trying to just capping myself my up desk, to, to look busy, mm-hmm, right? Exactly. Which, which I think is one of the biggest challenges. So also the things that I noticed is if your environment remotely is set up the right way, you can be productive, right? So when we go remote, you know, some people were on the kitchen table in a shared flat, right? With another person on the other side of the kitchen table, that's not conducive to being productivity, right? But if you've got your own little extra bedroom, your own home office, or a lot of people are using the rent an office space like Whatso and things like that, that's become extremely popular right now. So people have a place so they can focus when they need to. Hey, you've actually told me something new there. Some of those are confirmation of what we've heard before, but that idea of being able to work honestly to the rhythms of my body. I can do that much easier at home because I haven't got a whole bunch of eyes on the in cubicle land looking at me thinking, what is that slacker doing? If I go off and do whatever it is that makes David Frizzell happy for five minutes or 10 minutes and then come back energized and refreshed, that's going to make me a better worker. But you know what? I wouldn't do that in cubicle land because of the optics of it. I've never oh, thought of you it feel that guilty. Way. If I get up too much and go and do something or if I talk with somebody and have too much of a conversation that's not about work, ooh, the boss might be looking, yeah. better get back to it and look yeah. busy. 
Right. Um, you know, and again, a lot of people's energy doesn't work that way. Yeah. Right. They need some other things to do to get their mind creative and then come back to focus on what they actually need to accomplish. And we might have just been, you know, really free to tap into the natural rhythms of our body. I like that. I've not thought of it that way before. Hey, number two was the employee's demand for flexibility. That's a trend that is accelerating our move towards hybrid. And is that a trend that is pushing some of the would-be dinosaurs, giving them a nudge towards the future? Because even if they don't believe it, even if they feel about a bit out of control as managers or leaders, they know that they're not getting the people they need into their organization. So they've got to go this way anyway. Is it giving dinosaurs a nudge? Yeah, it's starting to. I think it's kind of doing two things. One, it's giving some of them a nudge, but a lot of them are going, well, where am I going to go? Right. A lot of them go, well, I got to this level of authority based on the way I've operated the last mm. 40 years yeah. or the last 30 years. So there's a massive upskilling right now. A lot of organizations are going, how do we get the middle and top layers of our leadership to actually start shifting, growing and changing the way they lead? And that's massive right now. I can't tell you how many organizations are going, if we don't crack that, we're not going to win the war for talent, which is what's happening right now, and we're going to lose that competitive advantage. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. And the other one I wanted to talk about was number four, securing top talent regardless of location. You know, that's been happening for a while. The gig economy has been alive and well, and I in my podcasting career and since I've had Team Guru, I've tapped into that enormously. People creating my websites overseas, people editing my audio overseas. And the reason I always did that was because it was cheaper. And there's probably some shame to that because I'm not buying local. And I'm sure that that's one of the attractions that businesses have. But not all businesses, I'm guessing, and I know, are necessarily looking for cheaper. They're looking for the right skills and the right fit for their team. So it means that they don't have to look for the right skills and right fit for their team in people who happen to live in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane. They can get the right skills and fit of someone who lives anywhere. Yeah. I love that example of a firm in Sydney being able to pay Cairns money now, and that's so true, rather than paying Sydney money. But the other thing it does, it gives that Sydney cider who may not love living in Sydney because it is becoming such a, a busy traffic jam city, it gives them the option to move to Cairns or to move to the Sunshine Coast or wherever they might like to move. And it gives the person in Cairns who loves Cairns, loves the lifestyle to go, I don't want to move my family and go yeah. to the big city. Yeah. So it's actually a great win-win. You know, and I think you hit the nail on the head, Dave, like traditionally IT have always kind of outsourced, right? Yeah. And it was leveraged and everything else. But what the pandemic has done is it's actually forced it more mainstream. Yeah. And now it's across industries. And it can be a really great win-win across the board. And the possibilities for life are enormous. And so many people listening to this right now will have done it themselves or know people who have really moved out of a big city and moved into the country, a rural area, or moved to the beach or wherever they always dreamed of living because it's it's possible now. It's It's such an exciting time. And We've got COVID to thank for that, which is a really strange thing. That's All right. right. Now, you have also talked about the pros and the cons of hybrid teams, and these are really powerful. And again, just like those global trends, I want to pick these apart a little bit. In Scott's book, in his updated version of Leadership Hacks, the pros of hybrid teams, are, there are five of them. They are improving productivity, 
reducing lost time in commuting, staff retention, staff work-life balance, and reduced traditional costs. We've talked about most of those. And the cons, though, and these are real, and we'll address those. The cons are keeping culture connected, balancing staff working in office and staff working at home, older executives resistant to change, technology challenges or cybersecurity, and HR challenges. So one of the pros there is the hybrid model is the difficulty of keeping, sorry, one of the cons is the difficulty in keeping a connected culture. What can we do about that as leaders to keep a connected culture? It's one of the things that is is really challenging. Do we just have to think differently about the culture we're going to have? Do yeah. we have to say goodbye to the old cultures that we enjoy and accept that this is a new age, a new world, and we have to reimagine good workplace culture? Yeah, I don't know if it's completely starting over, but I think it's evolving. That's what we need to do. We need to evolve from what we traditionally would say a good traditional culture was. You know, so for example, traditionally you go in the office, who would be the people that would get promoted? The ones that got there early, made things happen, they were seen, they noticed, they were really influential, mm. and they were physically there all Awful. the time. But it's just such right? easy to pick apart habits, presenteeism. Correct. Yeah, yeah. But now it's changed, right? Because hybrid change, it completely is changing that. And the culture, you still need to get that right. If the culture is not right, it's not going to attract people. You're not going to retain people. And what I talk about in the book, there's kind of five key pillars, right? And they are similar to when you had everybody normal. But from a hybrid perspective, they're even more important that you focus on these five. One is a sense of trust. Right. Because if we work together, Dave, in the same office, I see you, you say you're going to do something. I see that you're doing it. Interestingly, have implied trust. But if it's virtual and remote and you say you're going to do it and I'm not going to talk to you for a week, you know, and you're just going to give it to me. There isn't that same level of trust because I can't see you. Mm. So they've got to find a way to build that trust even more from a remote hybrid perspective. Right. Because if you don't have that, people won't speak the truth. They won't be open and honest. They won't say, oh, I can't make that deadline because of X, Y, Z and everything falls apart. So that's one of the main ones. In fact, that's kind of the foundation. But there's a couple of other things, especially from a leader perspective. The second thing they need to do as far as the second cultural pillar is they got to get clear on expectations. Yeah. Right. What are the expectations of my staff? What is the regular working remote? What does that really mean? What are the patterns? How are we going to update them? How should I communicate to them what I expect of them and how do they communicate to me what they expect of me if we're working from home, if we're working for them in the office, or if we've got half the team spread out somewhere. So those clarification of expectations, because I thought you were coming in tomorrow, like we're having a team meeting and we want to do some brainstorming, but you're not here, right? You just let the team down. So without clarifying some of those expectations up front, it makes things a little bit challenging on a culture side. The other aspect that you need to be aware of is accountability. Right. How do you make sure that you still have an environment where people are accountable? Like normally in an office, you know, the senior executives are on their floor, the next level down, the next level. Everybody knows the hierarchy because I can see it. Right. It's easy online. I don't know who this person is, especially in global organizations. Right. Because you just see their name on the screen. You don't see their title and you don't see that they're up in the big office. Right. So what that also means is, all right, if we need to be accountable, how do we make sure that we're accountable regardless of title and position? Right. And how do we hold people accountable and make sure that people are responsible to deliver on what they 
agreed to deliver on, right? So without that accountability piece, that kind of unravels everything else as well. There's two more kind of cultural pillars. And, and the fourth one is kind of a tricky one. And it's right now, it's kind of taking over everything. It's what I call accessibility, right? And this was creeping in before the pandemic, which is if I get an email from my boss at nine o'clock at night, am I supposed to respond? Mm. Or is it okay for me to wait in the morning? Well, before the pandemic, it was okay to wait to the next day because physically you're gone, you're not working. And then when you come back in the next day, then that's when we expect you to do it. Well, when working remotely, everything's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And without clarifying, all right, when do we switch on? When do we switch off? What is the expectations of when you will respond to somebody? That needs to be clarified, right? Especially when you have different time zones. I'm working with lots of organizations right now, and it is a basket case. I was talking with somebody, I was coaching somebody yesterday. He's a leader. So they're global. They got staff globally. So his first meeting was at three o'clock in the morning. Then he had another one at 9 a.m. He had another one at two. And then another one at 8.30 p.m. that evening. Yeah. And I'm going, oh, well, one day a week, you can get away with that. He's going, no, that's, that's, that's three to four days a week. Yeah. Right. And it, it's killing it. Right. Because they, they haven't nailed how are we going to manage the accessibility and, the, you know, and that kind of ties into the expectations I, as well. I was going to say, you, you would set up those, the rules around accessibility in the expectations of your team, among many other things. Yes. But to me, it's so important. It needs to be separate from yeah, expectations. Get it. Right. And then the final one is about building a sense of community. You know, if that's one of the things that I think a lot of people have craved after the pandemic, you know, a lot of people going, I want to go to the office because when I'm physically there, there's this sense of community. We physically are in this together. We're all part of the same team. And when you're hybrid, that sense of community is much more challenging to create, right? So I think that's the other cultural pillar you need to take a look at. How do we create some of these shared experiences that build this sense of community regardless of where we are, right? And I'm predicting next year to be a massive conference year. Right. Which means people are going, oh, we've been hybrid yeah. and we're doing this. We're going to get everybody together for two to three days, which is what we used to do, what, five or 10 years ago, because yeah. we want everybody together physically for that community and that leveraging and mm -hmm. everything else. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting a lot of inquiries for bookings next year already because people are going that sense of bringing everybody together to build that community is so important. There was a lot of clumsy attempts in the early part of COVID when we were very new to this whole working online thing of building that community, you know, having a meeting set at in the afternoon at Friday and we would all get together and just jump on and have a chat. And it was kind of, you know, these people that I'm familiar with, I used to sit next to all day, every day, but now we're sitting here having this really awkward thing. I don't know, maybe it was just me who found that awkward, but it felt like we were trying to fit our old shape into a new hole. And like you just said, we're just going to have to do that differently. And that might mean that we're working remotely a lot of the time, but then, you know, like the naughties, get everyone from the organization in a room for three days and get our community that way. And and then the ripples of that would last through the year and and we might be able to to live off that human contact a little bit. Look, I've got a bunch of questions from that. The expectations piece. So by the way, those five pillars were trust, expectations, accountability, accessibility, and community. And whenever you talk, Scott, I'm just in awe of how you're able to talk so articulately and passionately 
flawlessly and knowledgeably about all of this stuff without checking any notes. It's quite remarkable, mate. You're very good at it. Now, expectations is really important now in the virtual world. But like we said before, we've carried over a lot of the skills we did or didn't have from the old world. And we weren't very good at this the first time around. We weren't very good at this in the old world. So this is something that leaders need to be doubly aware of in the new world because they probably weren't that great at it, if they're honest, in the old world. But now in the virtual world, if you're not clear about these things, there can become a whole bunch of misunderstandings and a whole lot of assumptions that are different with everyone about what's normal and acceptable. Yeah. And it goes back to, like we talked about the delegation model earlier, you know, from the last time we were together, that's still in the book. That's a great way to clarify expectations, yeah. right? All right, there's this task. Let's just clarify how you're going to go about doing it. Let's map it. And you can use the electronic whiteboard. You don't mm. have to physically be in person mm. to actually do that. And that clarifies, all right, here's what I'm going to do. All right, great. So which order are you going to do it in? You know, have you thought about how you're going to make it more efficient, right? And they go, oh, all right, here's my screen. I'm going to do this, this, this. You can still clarify it. And I think before in the office, people would do a little bit of that. And some leaders, they've gone complete opposite, which means, all right, on Skype or on Teams, I've talked with you. If you know what you're doing, yeah, you're clear. All right, good. I'll just check the results later on. And then they're upset when the expectation isn't met. Yeah. Right? So it still goes down to that delegation level too. Let's map it. Let's clarify it. Create a visual mind map and then actually have a few check-ins along the way to make sure they're still on track. And then the number four, I think it is accessibility. Again, we had a, a really fantastic chat about that last time. And I remember we talked about how life is so different for you and me than it was for our dads or our mums when they went to work. You know, they finished at five and they were uncontactable until they came into the office the next day. And their life was different because of that. And this has been a plague for a long time. And COVID has just reinforced our need to address this because if we're accessible all the time and if we always are willing to check our email and even worse, if we're in the habit of physically opening the app, the email app and seeing and refreshing our emails all of the time, we are keeping our brain active all of the time and we're keeping it in work mode all of the time. So we're never truly switching off. If we think we're having three hours with the family, but during that time we've littered that with three or four checks of our email, then you're not having three hours with your family. That is not three hours of genuine downtime disconnected from work because it's not just those five seconds it takes you to open your email app. You're actually putting your whole brain back in that space. So that difference in the way we as humans conduct ourselves and what we expect of each other is huge anyway, but it's even more important here in this space when we're working virtually. And you hear a lot of great stories about people having a signal, like a symbol of the end of their day. The great one is to you know go and walk out and, and walk around the block as if you're walking home from the bus like you used to, or getting dressed, getting changed in your, in your board shorts and your t-shirt like you usually would when you get home from work, just to symbolize the end of your workday. It's easier, of course, if you have an office that you only go into for work, you can close that door and out of sight, out of mind. But you would have heard a lot of great tricks about that, Scott. Yeah, probably the biggest one is at, there's there's three types of activity. And I talk about this in the book as well, right? And this is how do you make sure that you can get more things done and don't overload yourself? And the first type of activity is work activity. That's all right. You got to there is time when you got to sit and you got to do the work. 
right? The challenge is what happened at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody would actually get back-to-back meetings. They'd start at seven, they'd finish at seven or eight, and they'd be exhausted because they got no breaks, right? So work activity is one type. The second type of activity is what I call recharge activity. And recharge activity is doing something to give my mind a bit of a break. It may be going for a walk at lunchtime, right? It may be uh, walking the dog at morning tea, right? It may be doing something that's shifting my energy that's going to recharge my battery. So when I come back, I'm actually fresh. And I do this myself. You know, I've got a dog. I'll go for a walk. Usually it's about 1030, right? I probably start about, I don't know, seven, right? About 1030 is the time. Go for a walk. And I'm still thinking of some of the work things as I walk the dog, but it's a completely different environment. It allows the ideas to flow. So when I come back, I'm actually recharged. I'm ready to, and I can actually do things in less time because I took that recharge activity. And the third type of activity is what you're talking about as well, which is what I call relax activity. We need to block out time that is relaxed, which is not work, that is just for me, right? And so for example, the, 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 uh, the manager that I talked to that was doing all these crazy hours, I said, well, you need to block out two or three hours in the middle of the day just to relax, right? Turn your phone off, take a nap, go get a massage, do something that is going to allow you to relax because there's no way you're going to be able to sustain that pace of activity. I think that's the challenge for a lot of people. When we're moving to this hybrid environment, how do I be productive and sustain it, right? And without balancing these three types of activities, it's very difficult to actually do that and perform consistently at a high level. That is so powerful. There's nothing magic about those words except that they're so magic. The idea that there are three types of activities, work, recharge, and relax. People who work too much and fail to disconnect and have terrible rules about their accessibility will listen to those three words and know there's at least one of them that they're not doing very well, that they're not committing time to. And family can be complete relax or family can be recharged. I can walk the dog with my son and it's a recharge. We have a conversation. I might think about a couple of work things as well. Right. So it still allows you the flexibility you need to still have the work life balance you want at the same time. I tell you, when, when I was deep in working from home mode, one of the things I used to listen out for, and I, I knew the time, obviously, was my kids coming home from school. I could hear them when they burst through the door, and that was the most exciting time of my day. And I would just catch up with them for 10 or 15 minutes because they've got homework to do, and they know my work day's not done. But that 10 minutes was the best time of my day, and it was this incredible mix of recharge and relax. Well, actually, probably recharge, but then, of course, my long time with them at night or on the weekends is the real relax time as well. So that is so real, and and it, it's one of those things. You know, you, you broke your book up into leading ourselves, leading individuals, and leading a team, which I still love, and, and that's one of yeah. the things I've always remembered from your work. That is about leading ourselves. We know you've got to do that. We know that you can't work all the time, that you've got to have rules around accessibility and expectations, et cetera. It's a case of, are you willing to lead yourself? Do you have the discipline to understand what you need and make sure it happens? That's leading yourself. Hey, you know, when I was reading your book today, Scott, I had this brainwave that I actually wrote down. I might write an article about it one day. I'm a big fan of uh, Yuval Noah Harari's work. Have, are you aware of him? He wrote, uh, first of all, the, A Short History of Humankind and then Homeo Juice and 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. But one of the parts in his book that I'll always remember is the idea of the early agricultural homo sapiens. So 
us who first started to farm animals and crops 10 to 12,000 years ago. You know, life for those people actually got much worse for thousands of years than it was for their hunter-gatherer ancestors. They didn't know, and they, and once they'd done it, once they'd gone down that path of agriculture, they couldn't go back because after a few generations, everyone had forgotten how to hunter and gather, hunt and gather. The towns had gotten too big, et cetera, et cetera. So there was no going back. But those early generations and many generations suffered. Their quality of life was much lower. They were subject to disease and famine like never before. Yeah. I kind of feel like we're like that. Well, we're that's the awesome. early. Yeah. We're the early generations of this data world, and we're having to get used to it. There's no going back. There's no going back to a world before smartphones and Facebook and everything else that comes with it. But because it's new to us and we're not very good at it, we're subject to these almost famine and diseases of our mind and our attention and our well-being. What do you think about that as a hypothesis? Oh, no, I think it's spot on. You know, if you go back to the 1800s and 1900s, they'd say, oh, they have a malaise, you know, this mental malaise. Well, what was it? It was, you know, essentially it was depression mm. back then, mental depression, because they didn't have that sense of work or that sense of creativity and they were just going through the motions. Yeah. And if that's the other thing from the pandemic, if you look at what's happened to people's mental health, a lot of people have taken a massive hit. Right. Because their routines were changed and they got locked in and they stopped dreaming. They stopped exploring. They stopped being adventuresome. Right. And I think that's why right now, you know, a lot of the airlines are, you know, playing catch 22 because people just want to have an adventure again. Yeah. I need to break that routine. And that's the other thing that the younger generation really won't put up with going back to the traditional workforce because they've tasted what it's like and they really want to start traveling again. Right. So getting locked down, like I've got a 20 year old, an 18 year old getting locked into a job for the next five years. They won't have a bar of that. Right. They're going, well, only no if it's a great that. culture, they allow me to go on holidays and do great things. Otherwise, forget it. Right. Which is very different than, you know, when you and I grew up. Very different. All right. Now we've had a fantastic chat, Scott. Our time is very quickly running away with us. Can you leave us with your three R's of remote leadership? Because I think after reading these today, these are going to be another awesome little little framework for me and, and our listeners to hold on to. Yeah. And this is what I found. What do leaders need to do if they're going to really lead in this hybrid workforce? I call it the three R's. The first thing they need to be is be relatable. How do you be more relatable so people understand who you are, you got a stronger connection with them. Like I was talking with one manager, he's had a staff member for two years, he's never seen him in person, right? So I'm going, well, if they can't relate to you, good luck managing them, yeah. right? So that's one of the keys. Be much more relatable, especially with the different generational values yeah. and expectations we have of staff. And work the out a way to do that, whether it's in person or virtually or a mixture of the two. Correct. And you have to use what I call a shared experience. Mm. That's usually what allows people to become more relatable. Uh, you know, when I read that in your book today, that shared experience, it made me think of a guy I used to work with who who was fairly junior. He was a bit of a young guy, but he was as passionate about rugby league as I am. And he and I used to have these fantastic conversations. And then when we had to work together and I had to ask him to do something, there was never a doubt in the world that we would be awesome at whatever we were doing together and that he would produce the work that I'd asked him to do in an awesome way on time with a smile on his face. 
And I never doubted that. And I didn't even put that much kind of credit to it, that it was because we were related. We had this really tight bond, this thing that we talked about as often as we got a chance to. And it just created this connection that, I mean, to, to say it spilled over in our work is a massive understatement. And, and you yeah. put that into words for me today. Yeah. And leaders need that. They need that relatability. The second R is reliability, right? They, you know, if you're working with hybrid people, you need to actually be more proactive to actually reach out and support them, hold them accountable, admit mistakes that you've made as well, which can be easier to hide when it's in a hybrid environment for a leader, but it's even more powerful when you actually do that. So that reliability, right, and being there and following up with your people is critical as well. And then the third R is about responsiveness, right? Are you actually doing something to increase your attention and be responsive? Oh, I haven't heard from that person in a while. I just need to check in, see how they're going. Right. I need to clarify my time frames. I need to streamline my decisions and I need to communicate even more if they're not physically in. They don't see what we're up to. So those three R's, relatability, reliability and responsiveness are absolutely critical for leaders moving forward in this hybrid world. You know, across a couple of those is that need of a leader in a virtual world or a hybrid team to be proactive and reach out and just call someone on teams or just type a message and say, have you got five minutes? And one of the things that always catches me off guard, even though I've known it for ages, it still surprises me when I see evidence, is that leaders at all levels are actually almost shy to do that. They're very reluctant to interrupt their own staff. There's that self-doubt that I've heard you talk about before. And the higher someone is in an organization, the louder the voices of self-doubt are. So chances are, if you've got a leader isn't reliable, doesn't check in on you as often as you think they should, or you would expect them to. It's not because they're not interested. It's often because they just don't have the confidence, believe it or not, to yeah. reach out to you. Yeah. And it's it's true. And I've, you know, I know it's true. And and I've heard you talk about it before, but it still blows my mind when I think about it because it's so counterintuitive. And one of the things I've seen leaders do and that I've done myself with those bad habits that you create over shyness or the energy it takes to make that leap into it, if you just break the seal, just start doing it, force yourself to do it by telling yourself that you're going to do it 10 times this week and keep a checklist. Once you break that seal and you realize it's no big deal, it becomes an easier habit to form. Yeah. And I think the key as well, it's not about checking in on the task or the activity all the time. You as right? a it's about checking in on them. How yeah. are you? Mm. How's the family? Mm. Right? What are you doing on the way? It's about the personal touch. That's what that's about, mm. right? The work's going to happen anyways, right? And you still need to clarify expectations, hold people accountable. But this reliability is just let me connect with you for you as a human being, not you as an employee, as a worker. Scott, awesome as always. Now, before I let you go, hit me with your three nuggets of gold, those pieces of wisdom that I and, and listeners can remember over the coming days and weeks so that we remember this awesome conversation. Yeah, I think like we've covered so many things. I think the biggest one is if you are working hybrid, working at in the office, working at home, remember the different types of activities, right? The three different types of activity, work activity, recharge activity, or relax activity. Just that one piece to me is gold for a lot of people, because if you get that right, you're going to be a lot more sustainable in your performance. You're going to be a lot happier as well. That's awesome. All right. Now, have you got three for us? Or is that just the number one? That's the one? first That's one. It. Great. That's the first one. I think the second one is really about 
being really clear if you are a leader on those three R's, relatable, reliable, and responsive. What am I gonna do differently as a leader to lead in this hybrid world, right? And how do I actually balance that to make sure that that's actually happening? And be so really that, deliberate about that. Yeah, absolutely. And the third one is even if you are meeting with some people in the office, some people remotely, online, whatever else, increase the use of visuals. Use electric whiteboards, digital whiteboards, things that allow people to see it, right? We talked about the delegation model a little bit. Level two is about let's map it together, right? You talk through it, I'll capture it or you'll capture it. So we're both on the same page and we can both see it. That can still happen if you're face-to-face or if you're hybrid. Create visuals to capture meaning to make it easier for people to connect and understand. Oh, look, no surprises, Scott. You've left us with three awesome things to remember. Scott Stein, once again, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks, David. It was great to be here again. And that was Scott Stein. I told you, he is not one to let us down when it comes to leadership wisdom in practical, very doable terms. I thought I'd heard it all about the change to working from home, but that whole idea of one of the benefits that we've felt being that when working from home, we allow ourselves, like never before, to work to the true rhythm of our body. And there was a bunch of other solid Scott Stein gold in there as well. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Scott on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me on the next episode of This, My Mission to Bring to Life the Theory and Principles of Leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. Bye for now.